Today's episode is sponsored by Tego. For most of us, indemnity insurance is one of our biggest costs of practice. But when was the last time you took a look at the coverage and compared your premium with others? Many of us are still with the same insurer we joined in med school or intern year. Thousands of doctors have made the switch to Tego and benefited from their personalised approach to pricing. You will also get an extra two months free in your first year. If you are new to private practice, you might even qualify for four years of discounted premiums. Tigo offers competitive premiums, quality cover and 24-7 support backed by top Medico legal advisors. Get a free quote and discover why thousands of doctors are insured by Tigo by visiting tigo.com.au. Hello listeners and welcome to Deep Breaths, a podcast covering topics related to the part two anaesthetic exam. I'm Dr. Kate McCrossan. And I'm Dr. Kate Steele. And today's episode is Drop Dead Legs, where we'll discuss regional anaesthesia for the lower limbs with special guest, Dr. Michael Kerr. As always, in this podcast, we represent our own views and not those of our employers or ANSCA. Dr. Michael Kerr works in both public and private practice in Brisbane. He trained in regional anaesthesia at the PA and currently works part-time at QE2 with a special interest in regional anaesthesia. Outside of work, he's interested in cooking, fitness and tinkering on projects. Thank you for joining us on Deep Breaths today. Thanks for having me. It's a great podcast. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So, regional anaesthesia for the lower limbs consists of many different techniques. Now, even anaesthetists who don't block per se will perform femoral nerve blocks for fractured neck of femurs or ankle blocks for toe amputations, while other blocks like sciatic blocks may only be performed by practitioners comfortable with the technique. So, Michael, do you have any approach to the taxonomy of lower limb blocks? The honest answer is not really, um, <laughs> though I think <laughs> the perfect disappointment. Um, so I think most people tend to think about blocks, say we're thinking about the leg, um, you can th- talk about them based on described techniques. And if you just imagine a leg in front of you, you can go down the leg and, desc- and talk about them. So lumbar plexus, sacral plexus, fascia liaca, femoral sciatic, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, a, a, a problem I see by doing it in this way is um, you never really get a solid grasp uh, on what block makes sense for what type of surgery or what type mm. of area you're operating in. Mm. You know, I often see people confused as to why you can do, say, for an arm, an infraclav when you're doing a, a fistula in the elbow mm. or for the lower leg. I've, I've had orthopedic surgeons confused as to why I would do a fascia liaca when they're doing a distal femur operation, but they're doing a lateral leg incision. Mm. Um, so I think what makes most sense is if you start off by thinking about where do you want to anesthetize, where's the operation going to be then think about what is the osteotome myotome and dermatome that's involved Mm. then think about what nerves are innovating those and then finally decide what approach you're going to be able to do how can you get that needle to that nerve what's within your skill set or the supervision that you have uh, available to you Um, so say if we're thinking about the sciatic you know that's going to be either just run down the leg so is it a plexus block is it a subgluteal Mm. an anterior is it a popliteal approach one one thing I wanted to sort of highlight there is um, a frequent source of confusion. When I'm talking about dermatomes, we're not talking about dermatomes that we learned about in med school. Um, we're talking about peripheral nerve dermatomes. Mm. So med school dermatomes, uh, we're talking there about um, spinal levels. So sp- mm. what, what levels do you knock out when you knock out that level of the spine? For regional nerve blocks, we're talking about peripheral nerves and areas of skin and cutaneous innovation um, that they mm. innovate. 
Yeah, I really, I really like that approach. Um, as you know, Mick, we, you know, we've talked regional before, and um, <laughs> I think starting with your desired outcome and working backwards is actually a really sensible approach. Because mm. um, yeah. I think we've probably all had that experience where a registrar's call and and they're like they're having this surgery, we should do this kind of block, and you're like, but that block doesn't necessarily That's the wrong match. Block. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So, I'm still learning. This is not to. Um, this is not to put any negative connotations on anyone because it's actually not just no, registrars. It's fellow consultants, right? If you don't do a lot of regional. Yes, I am in that class. Yeah. <laughs> it, Sorry. It's just a it, – and it's difficult because you've, there's a there's a investment you've got to make in learning actual anatomy before mm. it makes sense. You know, mm. I remember going up into, into the exam thinking I, I still didn't know what people meant by, you know, a superclav is the spinal of the arm. I still didn't know why it was, it was sparing some of the, the medial – um, part of the arm it just mm. didn't make sense but if, mm. you, if you go back to the anatomy and you look at um, where the local's going and what um, the nerves innovate it makes total sense so mm. we're, when you're ever confused about why you do a certain block for a certain procedure or area it's always about anatomy yeah, mm, yeah. I like it I think that's really sensible okay so uh, we kind of understand the range of blocks that are available so do you have any kind of main categories of patient or surgery that you think tend to benefit from these blocks or are we just including everyone in our block church? <laughs> now, can I let the listeners know that you've got a cancel button for the things I'm about to say? <laughs> of course you so, can. Okay, here we go. So I'm a total regional zealot and so my answer is going to be anyone with a pulse and a leg that's a block. <laughs> but that may not be the most um, politically correct answer. So... Um, if, if I start with a, a broad and then specific term, so I do not think that every patient having surgery needs a block. Though mm. I do think that every patient having surgery, we should consider um, mm. a block as part of either the anaesthetic, you know, are we going to do the operation under a block, or part of the analgesic plan, mm. um, particularly mm. if this is a procedure that's associated with moderate to severe pain. Mm. Um, for an exam side of things, we can, you know, we can use that familiar structure. We can think about um, patient surgical anaesthetic and service factors and with mm. each of these headings there's going to be recurring themes and two of these are going to be are we avoiding a general anesthesia uh, and the complications and risks that, that a GA involves mm. um, and are we using regional as part of a multimodal pain uh, modality because it's pretty much the best thing you've got for pain mm. um, so from a patient side of things uh, the older frailer the more comorbid they are the more polypharmacy um, substance misuse purple hair and stuffed toys in the bed the, <laughs> the more strongly i feel uh, that regional has a role um, yeah in, in talking about say specific procedures um, we're starting to see more and more and stronger evidence that there's patient benefits to regional um, you know, two example here's uh, here would be um, hip fracture analgesia um, and then we can also talk about hip and knee arthroplasty. So mm. we're talking about hip fracture analgesia here. So we know that they've got a uniquely high morbidity mortality burden. They're old, they're frail, they're comorbid. They, they've rattled with all the sort of drugs they come in on. Um, we've got consistent Cochrane level, you know, system, systematic review level evidence mm. that regional nerve blockade in these patients provides better analgesia than systemic alternatives. Mm. And if you actually look at what they're doing when they're comparing these, they're using almost intubating doses of things like alfentanil and yet regional is better mm. and it's not exclusive you know we're not saying you can't only do regional no opioids we're saying be really cautious with your opioids like we are use an appropriate age adjusted dose like we hopefully all are mm. but also realize that um regional is better than anything else you're about to give that patient mm. uh, you know so fewer side effects there's also mm. more specific things like you know number needed to treat reduce pneumonia probably around seven speeds up time mm. to mobilization 12 hours reduce hospital costs perhaps morbidity mortality and inpatient stay um, like there's really strong evidence. Mm. Um, if we are thinking about, say, hip and knee arthroplasty, um, 
there's just so much evidence out there and it's hard to get your head around. But if you if the readers want to look at something that's come out recently, I think 20, 2021, there's a group called Icarus, I-C-A-R-O-S. Mm. Um, and I was hoping, I've got some links, if that's okay, I was going to include them. For, Absolutely. If we can put them in show notes and stuff. Oh, mm, wonderful. I've got perfect. a heap of links. Awesome. So, if, they came out with a consensus and meta-analysis that looked at um, hip and knee arthroplasty and said, "What does, do, do blocks benefit patients? Do they be benefit the surgery? And, and here's the summary of it. So pick an outcome and blocks make it better. So reduced cardiac, wow. reduced respiratory, mm. reduced renal, reduced GI <laughs> complications, decreased delirium, <laughs> decreased surgical site infections, decreased thrombotic events, transfusions. And as a patient, I would look at all of these and say, yeah, I kind of don't want those. Um, mm. And just the association of having a nerve block with their management reduces all those. Mm. Um, I, you know, I'm a zealot and I sort of admitted that I do want to um, hazard some caution. I think we can get away with ourselves when we're talking about regional. Um, a lot of the stuff is looking at can we cure cancer and all these other sort of things mm. by involving regional. I think the answer is probably not. Like we need to remember what regional is. Mm. It's either a way of doing an operation or it's a way of providing really good pain relief. Mm. Um, and so with that in mind, I think you don't need evidence to say that a grade four airway with an RVSP of 110 <laughs> under a block versus a GA is a good thing. Mm. But I also don't think we should be looking for regional outcomes and saying we can cure their cancer and all those yeah. other sort of things. Like you don't need that. You know that regional is probably the best pain modality we have. Yeah, that's absolutely. We should probably leave most things. Can I interject um, here? Sorry, yeah, really quickly. Please. I just want to do, it's probably a bit of a deep dive very early in the episode, but I was just really Sorry. interested. No, not at all. I was really interested in what you had to say about regional for um, hip and knee arthroplasty because I know, yep. like, as someone who works in a centre where we pump through a lot of those, typically the surgeons don't like you, us using regional anaesthesia if we can avoid it because it limits the time to them mobilizing and I believe there's a link between the rapidity with which someone mobilizes on their new joint um, and joint specific outcomes like range of movement and those sorts of things and I was just going to ask what your experience was with regional anesthesia um, total hip and total knee arthroplasties and frankly orthopedic surgeons I was just curious because we've spoken about other sort of outcomes and how many benefits are there but how does that fit in with what the surgeons need for more joint specific outcomes that is a really um, difficult <laughs> uh, question to answer succinctly um, Keeping in mind that you've got to cancel button. Um, yes, of course. I think the single most the single um, most concise answer is I have that they're wrong. Okay. Um, uh, that appropriately used regional techniques will, will speed up time to mobilisation and recovery. Okay, cool. Um, I don't think that all re all arthroplasties need blocks or should be done solely under blocks. So I think if we think, what is the primary an anaesthetic technique? Mm. Um, I will spinal people when I can spinal people. Yeah. Um, I think it is entirely reasonable to give a modern multimodal general anaesthetic for a hip or a knee. And I do that mm. for probably most of my patients because mm. I find I look at a patient and I think, I don't know if I want you to be awake. Um, <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, they might be. <laughs> yeah. So the first decision I make is are they awake or asleep or, you know, are they, are they a spinal or a GA? Mm. Um, and I think it's entirely reasonable to do these people with a general anaesthetic. Mm. Um, in terms of ERAS and recovery, we need to make a really concerted effort to make sure that that's a that we do things like multimodal analgesia, preemptive analgesia, mm. adequate fluid, um, you know, not too much, not too little. It's the Goldilocks sort of thing, yeah. and significantly a focus on post-op nausea and vomiting. So mm. I, I teeter a lot of people. I'm not saying teeter is the only way to do things, mm. but it reduces your risk of post-op nausea and vomiting better mm. than anything else. Mm. So yeah. it makes kind of sense if you want to do it. That's reasonable. 
Um, and then in terms of blocks, so say if we're talking about knees, mm. severe pain, um, I think you'd have to have a reason not to do an adductor canal. Yeah, okay. Um, it's better than LIA. Okay. Um, and one thing to keep in mind when we're talking about LIA versus regional, uh, if we do, is that they're not exclusive. Um, yeah. And so I think that's yeah. a trap that a lot of people put in, fall into is they say, well, I'm going to do LIA. It's like, yeah, great. I, I implored your efforts to mm. spritz local anesthetic where you think a nerve is. But why don't I get my ultrasound on, see a nerve, and put local anesthetic around it um, with an enormous evidence base behind it? Yeah. And it also doesn't mean you can't do yours. The main yeah. thing there is that you're going to have to titrate your total dose mm. of your local anesthetic and communicate with your surgeon. Um, I, most of the surgeons I work with, uh, I'm really lucky at Kiwi2, they've got a wonderful orthopedic department and the private surgeons I work with are just good human beings. Mm. But they also appreciate the fact that regional helps. It helps their patients, it helps the pain, it reduces their opioids, they're less sick mm. and they mobilise earlier. Mm. As long as you're not blocking, severely blocking motor nerves, they can get up and about it earlier. Yeah. When you get someone who doesn't have adequate pain control, they have much more quads weakness than mm, when they've yeah. got a good block mm. on board. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. very true. And also there's other reasons they have cords weakness after having a knee surgery when patella <laughs> tendon's yeah, being exactly. chopped through. But anyway, we can, um, we can do <laughs> that. Now, yeah. please forgive me because I know I interrupted you. You spoke about regional no, no, no. for neck of femur fracture and we, we've spoken ad nauseum now about sort of um, total <laughs> arthroplasty and you were about oh, to I've start talking about, about something. <laughs> <laughs> and you were about to start talking about something else before I rudely interrupted you. No, 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 not at all. I, I had a, a couple of sort of, um, say, specific things and my, my thoughts on them, yeah. Um, yeah, if that's okay. Absolutely. Um, so, specifically for lower limb. So, I, re- I have a very strong opinion that anyone with a hip fracture, they need to meet a pivot cane early on in their addition. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, you know, <laughs> like more than a friend. Um, ideally, <laughs> ideally, that's going to involve a catheter technique, but that's a really difficult um, process. Um, yeah. So, the PA that started doing that, that's really cool. Um, I went back to ED to help out a little while later, uh, a little for a couple of months uh, a little while ago and it's really hard they've got a lot of time pressures and stuff they yeah. don't have some of the, the luxury we do as, as anesthetists to do these so anyway if you can get a catheter in these people wonderful um, this is supported by good strong evidence to the point where I know this is inflammatory but if you're not providing this to your patients and have the opportunity to you are providing substandard care mm. you know um, the Royal College has come out with a really strongly worded guideline saying, yeah, yeah they all need blocks. Mm, and yeah. I want to say they need blocks when they're admitted in ED yeah. and they need blocks when they come to theatre. Yeah. Um, for hip replacements, I don't have as strong opinion. I, I think it's mild. I think anything you want to do is probably okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll do a, whatever I want on the day, whatever makes sense. So spinals, sometimes intrathecal morphine, sometimes a fasciliaca, sometimes a lumbar plexus, whatever makes sense. Mm. You know, um, for many, many patients, a good general anaesthetic with local infiltrations, just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, big knee operations, as we talked about just before, I think regional should play a role and mm. LIA can play a role and they can play together. It'll all yeah. just be fun. Um, <laughs> scopes, don't have a strong opinion. I block them all um, because I've got nice surgeons and I like to block. Yeah. Um, and I also think it's a really nice opportunity for teaching blocks because we do so many scopes. Mm-hmm. Um, things that involve bones, I'll offer them all blocks. Yeah. I'll ask, I'll, I think... <laughs> You need to have a very good relationship and a um, good conversation with the surgeon. Yeah, and it's hard for us so because true. we're often working with random registrars, random surgeons. Mm. You know, but I think if you start the day by an engaged conversation and if they realise you're a nice person and you just want to you know, do the right thing for the patient and help them with their patient, most people are really receptive to that. Mm. Um, so 
I block most things to do with bones. If they're worried about them, I won't. And we've always got the option of a rescue block and recovery. Mm, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I like the, um, yeah, I do a lot of consenting for rescue blocks, either yeah. in situations yeah. where the surgeons are ambivalent, where the patient's ambivalent. Um, yeah, totally. And so, you know, it's a really nice in between. You can consent yeah. them beforehand and pop back if they yeah. need if they need it and um, look after uh, them. I think a really nice role for that is when you've got those patients that are, you know, going home and you're sort of going, oh, Am I going to increase the risk of them going home mm. pain-free to then yeah. bounce back? Does it increase the risk of bouncing back? I really don't know. Let's see how they go. If they mm. wake up terribly, block them. Yeah. You know, they're not yeah, going home if they're point. screaming in pain and eating a PCA. Yeah, yeah totally. that's so true. So, look, let's change tack now. Let's run through the three most popular lower limb blocks and let's start with the fascia iliaca block. So, how do you perform this one and do you have any tips or tricks that we can benefit from? Another annoying answer for you. I think it just depends. Yeah. Um, so there's some people that are still doing and learning double pop techniques, like a Lambert thing. That's mm. reasonable. That's fine. If you work in a resource-constrained environment, totally cool. Um, you just got to know that it's less safe. Um, it's not as fast in terms of onset. You use greater doses, and where you think your needle is is probably wrong. Um, <laughs> it still has a role. <laughs> Sorry. I'm really inflammatory. Um, that is okay. <laughs> For, for the ultrasound guided, which I think what most of us would be doing these days, um, is it really comes down to the inguinal ligament. So you're going to be above or below it. Mm. Um, so infra-inguinal um, is the normal technique that most of us learn to. And that's what most of us still do. And it's mm. still great. Mm. Um, and that's what I do most of the time. Uh, it, super inguinal, so above the inguinal ligament, is the sort of flavour of the month. It might be better. We're still waiting on evidence to really show that. Um, but it's kind of cool. And so I do that a fair bit too. And so what I actually do is I'll get a patient. I'll chuck the probe on like I'm doing a femoral nerve block. Um, and what I'll look for then is your femoral artery. I'll go mm. down the leg and I'll look for that bifurcation of the femoral artery. And that really, that's my landmark for knowing I need to be above that. If, mm, I'm, okay. if I'm below the bifurcation, I'm too low. So get that femoral artery, get the bifurcation, get above it. Mm. Then find your fascia iliaca. Once you've got your fascia iliaca, come out lateral. Um, so you're sliding the probe probably towards you on the bed. Um, and then... Eventually, you rotate. This makes more sense when you watch YouTube, and I've got a link to one for you. Um, to hopefully, I guess in the show notes. Um, you slide, you rotate the probe. Sorry, so one of the ends of it is point, pointing towards the umbilicus, and what you're looking for then is this bow tie description um, mm. that people describe. Mm. When you first start doing these, keeping in mind you're probably not doing these on twenty-year-olds that are ultrasound <laughs> models. Yeah. Um, it's kind of hard because you've got all these like inclusions. Eighty-year-olds got all these inclusions in their muscles. Like it's really hard to differentiate easily between fascia and muscle mm. um, and just have some um, I don't know what's the what's the nice way of saying this be kind to yourself and know that sometimes the ultrasounds are either crappy ultrasounds or difficult um, images yeah. and it's hard so it's not as easy as you expect why I mention that is, is okay there's a guy called Kiji Chin um, he's a mm. absolute guru from mm. I think he's in Toronto yep. and he's like I have the biggest man crush on this person um, <laughs> he's one of the I think he's one of the most um experienced uh, and well-published and most amazing educator that I've, I've sort of come across. He's got this excellent YouTube channel, so I'll, I'll link that. Mm. Um, and he has a video that he shows his technique, and it's wonderful. So he'll do what I was saying. Chuck your probe on, normal thing. Um, and then what you do is you find your fascia iliaca and you chuck some local under the fascia iliaca. You can either come out of plane or in plane, whatever you want to do, um, but open up that space with local or saline, whatever, makes, whatever you've got. Ah. Um, and then you turn your probe. And what you've got then is you've got this really nice um, differentiation between fascia iliaca, the iliacus mm. under it. And it just all makes way more sense then. Huh. Um, so that's what I've started doing more and more of. And I found when I started doing that, it all made sense. 
So that's what I recommend. Okay. Mm, that's a good tip. Mm. Um, I must say, sometimes I just, like if I'm struggling with the anatomy, particularly in an older person, I also just look mm. across to the femoral nerve and be like, that looks like the right plane, <laughs> you know. Yeah, like, yeah, totally. And put some yeah, like that's, that's, your, that's your like place of safety. It's like, oh, oh there yeah. it is. As long yeah. as your needle's not there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As long as it drifts across to the femoral nerve. Like it's all good. Yeah, yeah. And when you were talking about fractured neck of femur patients, would you typically do either a single shot or catheter-based fasciolarchitecture? technique as opposed to a femoral nerve block um just like just a femoral nerve like try to hit more like a three-in-one type situation so with that um the three-in-one was initially described as a way of um i think if i can remember it correctly um doing a distal block massaging the local anesthetic mm-hmm. up trying to help yeah. nerve. Yeah. Yeah. i think we can say now definitively that um infrainguinally we'll never get the pretty much never get the obturator nerve mm. yeah um a super inguinal might, but you actually need about 60 mils of local to reliably get to the obturator right, nerve. Yeah. There's, a, um, there's a really interesting um, uh, publication. The Regional Anesthesia and Pain Medicine, uh, so Regional Anesthesia um, Journal um, did a fascial um, plane special episode a little while ago. And one of the articles they had was really describing well um, the fascia iliaca and, and what nerves are around there and, and the relationship of them. The obturator is way away from it and it's actually mm. posterior to it. Mm. Um, so, anyway, sorry, I'm going on a tangent. Um, <laughs> no. What I do... <laughs> I asked you so I do exactly. Sorry. As, <laughs> no, sorry. So, I chuck the probe on um, and if the views are terrible, I'll go up to a fascia liaca, um, and what I'm doing is I'm coming as lateral as I can as my entry point mm. and I'll hydrodissect the space open and I'll walk my needle in um, and I'll eventually end up with the needle right next to the femoral nerve. And so effectively what I'm doing is both. Like I'm mm, trying to get yeah. the needle and, and ultimately a catheter as much of it under the fascia iliaca as I can. Yeah. And the end point for where I leave things is either under or over the femoral nerve. It makes no difference. Whatever whatever makes sense at the time when you're watching a local spread is what you do. Mm. Um, and, and one of the things I really like about this technique is if you can get the – there's a kit called the SUI. It's by Pajunk. It's a SUI ECATH. So Sui is one of the, another regional anesthetist who's like you know um, one of the old school knows everything, published everything sort of people. Mm-hmm. Um, what this is, I don't know if you guys have got it um, where you work, but it's it's awesome. It's just cannula. It's green. It's a catheter over needle um, thing in jig. But imagine it just like a cannula. You chuck it in and then you thread it off and then you just um, chuck in this little inner cannula and you're done. And so oh. we, this is the kit where we've got our emergency department doing. And basically, if you can put catheter, if you can put a catheter in someone, you can do this kit. So a lot of people, there's a hesitancy to do catheter-based techniques. But when you mm. show them what it is, they go, hang on, that's just a cannula. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Mm. That's um, fantastic. So don't tell too many people that. that <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's what I do. So basically, um, pop it in just like a cannula, get under the fascia liaca, wander it across as your hydrogen and you can even suture those in, which is really cool for the demented patients. Wow, mm. that's great. I think we trialled them at one point, but we still pretty much have the, um, you know, just the stimuplex kind of set up with a 2 type needle and threading the catheter through. And, and that's obviously a little harder because it requires the coordination of, you know, keeping a needle very still, feeding the catheter. Yeah, but you, you also get more flexibility with the, the, the 2 kit. You know, you can do more. You can put the catheter where you want, but mm-hmm. depending on where your needle is, like, mm-hmm. it's more flexible. So yeah. not, as long as you're doing something, it's good. <laughs> yeah. Any regional, any regional is good. <laughs> oh, seriously, like I, and a lot of the stuff that I was saying about before about the you know Cochrane level stuff that says we're doing patient-centered benefit to all these people, which mm. is a huge problem. And a lot of that data has come from the landmark-based technique. Mm, so yeah. I wasn't intentionally poo-pooing it. I'm saying even that technique, which is probably not as good, um, has got a huge amount of benefit. Mm. Yeah, yeah. All right, so. We're going to move on to the popliteal sciatic block, which is one of my favourite blocks personally. <laughs> um, 
And I'd like to talk about your approach to this block, but also patient selection. I think later we're maybe going to segue into talking about some recent um, <laughs> studies that have come out about, you know, there's been two kind of oh, yeah, conflicting yeah. trial, uh, not trial, even like kind of narrative analysis reviews of uh and tibial fractures and, um, you know, long bone. Anyway, it's been interesting because one came yep. from the orthopedic community and one came from the anaesthetic community. I've quite enjoyed diving into those. We can maybe get into that as well a bit later. But, but we'll just kind of rewind and go, pop the deal sales, it Sounds like there was you know? a very respectful discussion had between both specialties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, of course, always very professional. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so your thoughts on a pop sciatic? Same again, if they've got a leg, um, <laughs> they've got a sciatic nerve. Um, um, so, do you want to know, like, who I would offer one to or how I do it or both? Both. Uh, anyone, oh, this, is, this sounds like a, an avoidant answer, but anyone I think is going to benefit from it. So moderate to severe pain, mm, yeah. I'll block them. Um, if it's not going to impair the mobility to, you know, significantly to that is a contraindication, I'm sure. Um, if they're not going home that night or if they're in severe pain and recovery. Um, you know, I, anyone that I think is, if it's the right thing for the patient, I'll make an effort to do it. Mm. I think that's how I start most of my anaesthetics is not <laughs> thinking about, you know, what airway I'm going to do. It's mm. about what block I'm going to do. So. <laughs> um in terms of, um, so the practicalities of how to do it, um, so these are people, I, if I can, I prefer them to be awake. Um, and the reason why is, so I'll explain in a sec, is, is I'm going to get really close to their nerves. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just an extra warning sign um, that we can use mm -hmm. that might indicate um, if we're getting paresthesia or pain on injection. Mm. Um, so um, positioning-wise, I'll usually do it, so on the, say they're on the trolley, um, uh, I'll get them in a semi-lateral position, so I'll get them to just to roll over. Um, and the reason being is that the, the nerves are often more lateral than people realise. Like uh, you see most people chuck the probe on, they'll chuck it in the, in the popliteal crease and they'll be looking for an artery. I don't really bother. I'll just I'll pop it in. I'll get them on the side. I'll pop it on sort of the lateral third um, around that area. And then the first thing I do is just scan up and down mm. reasonably quickly. And I'm looking for something nervy-looking, that hyperechoic sort of structure going um going from a single thing to a, a two things and then coming back in again. So quite quickly scanning up and down, looking for that um, sense of um, separation and joining. Um, and then I'll sort of ponder about that and make sure that's the nerve. Um, <laughs> if they're, I'll often do these asleep as well. I think that's totally reasonable. Um, and if that's the case, then say they're on the table, they've already got an airway and they're asleep. Um, a nice tip I, I saw and I stole from someone else was you get the Mayo table, you steal it from the scrub side and you can chuck their calf on the mayo table oh. and it frees everyone up. You don't need a warty to hold the leg yeah, um, and you can sort of mm. just have a nice stable position. It's really nice. It's quite, quite civilised. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of, say, specific blocks, um, I think the number one problem people have when they're doing this block, and this is a block you might be coming across when you're trying to do, say, an amputation in the vascular path, is you're not getting in the, in the common sheath. So there's a vlocus fascia, common sheath around the tibial nerve. It's really thick. So mm. this is either a, um, a friend or a foe. So it's a friend if you get in there because when you put your local anaesthetic in, it contains it and it keeps it around that nerve and it, you'll see a lot of spread up and down the nerve. But it's your enemy if you don't get into it. Um, and even if you get nice donutting around that uh, the common um, sciatic nerve, if you're not in the fascia, it's a diffusion barrier and mm, you'll get yeah. either no block, a suboptimal block. You just won't get that dense surgical block. So that's, I think, where most people um, struggle with when they're doing a you know, forefoot amputation or something like that. Mm. Um, the next tip would be knowing that we're trying to get into this common fascia is where do you do it? And the answer is around the bifurcation. Um, huh. And 
what I'm looking for is I'm looking... So at that bifurcation, you've got two nerves. So remember, we're going to be going lateral to medial. So when you're going lateral, the first nerve your needle is going to meet is the common perineal. Mm. The next nerve that's more medial to that is the tibial nerve. Mm. And so what I'm looking for is I want, I want one, of the, one of them to be above the other one. Because what that means is, if you, it's hard to describe on a podcast, but um, <laughs> what, what it'll look like, if you look at a, a video of someone doing a popocytic block, is that for the most of the time we're coming in plane. And, mm. and so the needle's coming across the screen. And when the needle's coming across the screen, if you've got one of those nerves sitting slightly above the other one, um, that means that they're going to roll out of the way as you pop into that sheath. And it's an extra element of safety. Ah, oh, I see. Mm. Um, tip. Final tip mm. would be chuck half your local in and then stop. Keep your needle where it is, slide up and down with your probe and look at where that local's gone. So you might have a bit of local sort of donutting your nerve, but has it all then gone down the common perineal or, or down the tibial? Because they've, they've also got their own individual mm, sheets mm. around the nerves. And that's where I stuff up a lot of the times is I'll go, oh, bugger. And I'll look at it and I'll look down at my uh, syringe and be like, oh, it's empty. Great. <laughs> um, so chuck some local in and then see what you've done with it. Great. So Good advice. I think we're actually, this is probably going to be the end of one episode. So yeah. I think what we might do is, <laughs> if you don't, no, if you don't, no, no, no this, this is, great. is great. If you don't mind uh, joining us for a little bit longer, Mick, is that okay? I would absolutely love to. Perfect. Perfect. We'll see you soon. Thanks again for joining us with part one of our discussion with Dr. Mick Kerr. As always, you can reach us at deepbreathspod at gmail.com. We love hearing all of your suggestions for future topics and possible guests to approach, so please keep the emails coming. You can find us on most major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And following us makes it easier to find new episodes. Consultants, don't forget to claim CPD. Thanks for listening, and we hope you can join us next time on Deep Breaths.